Oh, good morning, church. The tears just won't stop today, man. It's um, it's a lot. Um, let's um, let's uh, begin how we um, are accustomed to beginning by the disciples' prayer. So, uh, do we have that to put up? There we go. All right, so um, if you'd like, you can read it from the screen. If not, uh, recite from memory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So um, my family is here. They're visiting from um, Highlands County. And that is my nephew, Raylan, who's the cutest kid in the world. Um, and um, so something cool happened yesterday. So they walk in the house and my, my sister, you know, they, they hand me the baby. I'm like, yeah, I get to hold him because, you know, I don't get to see him very much. And he looks at me. And we have this kind of moment. He's like, okay, what's the deal? And then he proceeds to, no exaggeration, do this. <gasps> and just starts screaming his head off, freaking out. As if I am like some kind of like, you know, horror movie villain thing. Like it was, it was scary. I felt bad for him. Turns out that uh, hats freak the kid out. So I had a hat on, and that was different for him. It wasn't what he's used to, and he was really scared. And I, I took the hat off, and then after that, we're fine. And he's like a really crazy happy baby. So after the service, you know, see if you can get some time with that kid. He's awesome. But, but it got me thinking about you know, feeling unsafe. And there's this idea in our world where as we get more and more benefits to our lives and things get simpler and simpler, but actually more and more complex— we have this like need for safety, right? You feel that? Like, have, what, what does it feel like when you feel unsafe? Is that like the worst feeling in the world, right? That the anxiety level goes through the roof. All of a sudden, you're like, what do I do? What's going on? You get really freaked out, and like, it, it's it's awful. Well, I got good news and I got bad news. Which you want first? All right. Bad news is, um, following Jesus means you're going to live a life feeling that way a lot. The good news is, you shouldn't feel that way. Because he's the God of the universe, and he called you. So before we even get into the passage, let's just be very clear. The God of the universe who created everything wants a relationship with you so much that he led a sinless life, he put himself up as a sacrifice for you to honor his father and to show how much he cares for his creation. He loves you that much. He loves us that much. And he's done all of that for us. There's safety in that. There's the arms of a parent in that. Like my wife prayed this morning. But he's going to call you into some uncomfortable situations. He's going to call you into some places where it's not going to feel very safe. In fact, it's going to feel the opposite of safe. There'll be a lot of anxiety. There'll be a lot of freaking out. And in those moments, he's actually designed them so that you would cling closer, not turn away. 
we get to see that in David's life. So we are about to tag two chapters. Say two chapters. All right, so I'm going to need you all to like buckle in, okay, because we're going to move pretty quick, right? We're going to do two chapters in 1 Samuel. So if you'll flip to 1 Samuel, we're going to do chapter 19 and chapter 20. But I'm going to give you the answer to the test before we get started. Here's what we're going to learn. The safest place to be is where Jesus called you to be doing what Jesus called you to do. That's the safest place. So we're going to get to see in David's life what he was doing. Was he following God? Was he where God placed him? And was he, in fact, safe? And again, I'll give you the answer before we get there. He was actually incredibly safe, but from the outside looking in, looked like the furthest thing from it. Didn't make any sense at all. So let's do a recap. So this is our third um, section from the Sword and the Spear series that we've been doing. So to give you some background, God's people wanted a king, right? So we're going to kind of the beginning of 1 Samuel. God's people wanted a king. God's like, hey, you don't really want a king. It's a bad idea. But they're like, no, no, no. Everybody else has one God. Us too, us too, us too, right? So they wanted a king too. So God gave him a king. Samuel the prophet anoints Saul. Saul, good king, bad king, based on what we've been learning. What do you think? No, it's not great. It's not great, right? It's going pretty poorly, right? So Saul doesn't really listen to God. So because Saul doesn't really listen to God and do what he says, we learned over the last couple of weeks that David got the opportunity to kill Goliath, right? And he gave David his armor, right? We learned that a couple weeks ago. And we also learned that as this has been going on with Saul, he likes to kind of follow but accommodate God. He doesn't really obey. Do you guys know anybody like that? They'll kind of follow. If you have kids, you know what this is like. It's like, yeah, I guess I'll kind of clean my room, right? But I'm really just going to kind of shove everything under the bed so it kind of looks like I clean my room. That's what Saul is as a king. He makes it look like he's following God, but, but not really. It's a pu public versus private life, like we learned about last week, right? So as, as Saul finds out that David is going to become the king, and he doesn't know specifically that it's David, but he knows it's going to be someone else, because God has removed this. So when God says, no, you can't be king anymore, now Saul starts to spin out and freak out a little bit. The Holy Spirit leaves Saul. And with the Holy Spirit leaves, all of a sudden now he's got a lot of anxiety. He's got a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, right? He's throwing spears at people. He's kind of losing it. Over the last couple of weeks, we saw how he was trying to kill David. And he was being sneaky about it, too. Do you remember? He was, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I want you to marry into my family. So again, publicly making it look like everything's good. But then sending him into battle because he wants David to be killed because he doesn't want David around. Well, God's with David. So with each one of these like tasks he gives him, David actually overachieves and things get better. All the while Saul behind his eyes is like freaking out. So does this feel like a powder keg? Does it feel like that was like last time on David and Saul's life? Well, now we're gonna cover this week's episode. You guys ready? All right, so we're going to read the first couple of verses from 1 Samuel chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. 
Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. The Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all of these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So a couple of things to notice here in this first section. Remember that everything Saul's been doing about David has been in front of people or kind of behind the scenes. What's he been doing up until this point? It's kind of been behind the scenes. He's been creating circumstances to try to get David killed or to try to get David into trouble. Well, chapter 19 starts off, he's in front of the court of everybody, and he's like, round him up, let's kill him. So do you see how it's amping up? So he's saying, hey, everyone, let's get David, let's bring him in, and let's kill him. But Jonathan and David have a special relationship. There's a care there, and Jonathan has a plan. So he goes and talks to David, gives David a heads up, and then he goes and talks to his father. Now, do you notice what evidence he gives him? He goes to his dad and he says, he stepped out and he killed the Philistine for you, for Israel. Look at what, look at what, you rejoiced over that, remember dad? Why would you kill this man? And then he says, why would you sin against him when he hasn't sinned against you? So Jonathan's making the case for him and Jonathan is protecting David and Saul listens to him and then vows not to kill him. So, think about it from our perspective. If we're going to be out in the world where God has placed us, doing what God has called us to do, think about who's on God's team. Because following Jesus can sometimes feel lonely, right? It, it can feel daunting. The world is really jacked up. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a reason that a church gathering is such a big deal. It's the opportunity to come together, to live life with one another, to connect with one another, to spur each other on through the Holy Spirit, to go out into this crazy, busted world. But listen to the encouragement. You know who's on God's team? Creation. He's in control of it all. If you're thinking about it in sports terms, God's roster is stacked. It's the greatest team that's ever been assembled because it's him. All of creation listens to him. He is in control of everything. So all the while we're out in the world, we're doing what God's called us to do, where God's called us to do it. There are people that God is directing to advocate on our behalf. There are things God is directing to advocate on our behalf for our greatness. No. For his glory and our good. He's doing all of this. And a lot of time we don't even know it's happening. 
You realize how many times the conversations are going to be like in heaven when we see some of the stuff that God orchestrated that we had no idea? We, we didn't even know what was happening. We didn't even know that person had been praying for us since we were 10 years old. Didn't even know about it. That is the God we serve. God used others to help protect him and advocate for him. We have that God too. God's working everything for his glory, our good. You are on a winning team. Hear me. You're on a winning team. It's over. The battle is done. The war is over. We're just living in it. And that's the God we serve. Now, David, in this moment, do you think he felt that way? What do you think? Probably not. How'd you feel this week? Do you feel that way? <laughs> right? It, it can be hard. It can be so hard. But there's safety in numbers, and our numbers are that. Let's move on to the next section. We're going to read verses 8 through 15 now. And then there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that the spear struck into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And Michael took, or Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put pillow of goat's hair in its head and covered it with its clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in his bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed and with the pillow of goat's hair in its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? Michal answered, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So now David comes back after Jonathan talks Saul off the ledge. And David's back to doing what David was doing before. He's going off and conquering Philistines. He's, he's, a, he's a man of war. Like, this, this guy can take a battle. All the while, he's also getting called in when Saul's really upset and he's playing music for him to calm him down. So David continues to do what God called him to do, where God called him to do it. And then Saul loses his daggum mind. Again. And Saul goes, I'm going to kill this guy. He takes the spear, and he goes to take David out again. And when he does this, David escapes and gets out of there. The jealousy, the envy, the hatred that got a hold of Saul, it just keeps rising up again. Then he goes, and remember, he's married to Saul's daughter, Michal, and she like straight bedsheet style, gets him out the window kind of thing, right? So he just barely gets out of there and runs off. Now, we have this back and forth. They show up. She set up a statue in the bed to make it look... Everybody, anybody think of like a bad TV show when we read that? 
It kind of seems like one of those sitcoms, right, where you sit up like a, the, the teenager does it and then skips out the window, right? But she does that, and it buys him some time. So he gets out of there. But notice, is she operating on the level? No, she's lying. She said the reason she did it is because why? Yeah, he's going to kill me. So <laughs> she's helping, but not exactly like following uh, completely with what I would say would be the right way to handle things. But there's adversity in what's happening to David. He's doing what God called him to do, where God called him to do it, and it's not going well. I don't know about you, but repelling out of a window doesn't feel like it's going well. Right? So this week, what window did you repel out of? And you're like, God, what are you doing? Are you kidding me right now? Is this really what's gonna, what you want me to be doing? Also, think for a moment like you're David. You can handle yourself on a battlefield. This is the guy who wouldn't fight Goliath, but you did. You can handle a sword. How hard would it have been to just take him out when he came at you with a spear? How hard would it have been to just rationalize and go, well, I've been anointed king. I'm the king elect. God's got a plan for me, and it's that. And you know what? This is the time to do it because it's just self-defense. You feel it? You feel the enemy pulling? He is doing what God called him to do, where God called him to do it, when God told him to do it. He had every earthly right to just take this guy out. And then to sit back and go, I was anointed, talk to Samuel. But he didn't do it. He had a respect for what God was doing, and he allowed God to continue to operate. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there's been times in my own life where I've rationalized the heck out of what God wanted me to do. You ever been there? Where it's like, yeah, I could totally see that this is what God wants. And then you think about it, you think about it after a couple of days, and you realize you haven't even prayed about it once. I mean, you've thought about it. Not with God. You've thought about it with you. And with you, the benefit is I get to be king. But for David, he was following God and what God wanted. And here's what's crazy cool, because this next section of Scripture is, 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 my opinion, it just seems nuts. But hear this before we read it. None of this would have happened about what we're about to read had David took it into his own hands. But because he didn't, we get to read these next verses. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of prophets prophesying, Samuel standing over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is Siku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. And he went there to Nioth at Ramah, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him also. 
And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel. And they laid naked all the day and all the night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Now this sounds nuts, right? You can say it. It sounds crazy. But think about what's happening here. David now is on the run. And where does he go? He goes to the prophet of God, who probably in David's own mind, as he's going, he's probably thinking, you started this. I'm going to go find out what I need to do, right? You're the one who anointed me. Like, what, what, what's God doing here? So he goes to the guy who's going to speak for God, talks to him about it, tells him what's happening, and there's some kind of interesting. Samuel takes him to a city, Ramah, but Nioth was actually a seminary of the time. So he's taking him to a literally, in this town, a group of people that are learning God's word, that are learning all of the Jewish, all, all of the beginning of scripture, right? So these are like the people who are locked in about what God is doing, and he takes them there. This was like a city of refuge kind of thing. So they're there, and then Saul sends people to go pick up David. Makes sense. They come walking up to pick up David, and what do they hear? A worship gathering they hear a group of people worshiping God, singing in joy about who God is and what God is doing. They're so overcome that the Holy Spirit locks in with them and they join the worship gathering. Saul sends another group. The same thing happens. And another group, and the same thing happens. And then Saul's like, okay, we got to figure out what's, what's going on here. He goes down. He doesn't even make it to the worship gathering. He goes to the well, which is like the public place in the, in the town, asks what's going on. They point him in that direction, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him on the way there. And he starts singing and praising God. Worship happened because David didn't kill Saul. Do you see it? Had David killed him in that room, none of this would have happened. But because he was where God called him to be, doing what God called him to do, all of this opportunity for the glory of God to be proclaimed happened. It's incredible. Notice that Saul had taken his armor off and given it to David. And now Saul's taking off his royal robes. When you see that naked piece, it can kind of seem really crazy to us. The idea is he simply took off his royal robes. That's what it means. So he's taking off his royal robes, putting them down. He's given his armor over to David, and the God of the universe is systematically taking his reign from him. It's incredible. And it wasn't in the way that any of us probably would have written it. It wasn't what we would have done. David, kill Saul, move on. Skip to the end, go. No, God's telling a whole story here. And notice that David's safety and the, Saul's removal of his kingship was the byproduct of the worship. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't David being safe that led to worship. It was the worship, and that's how David was safe. They were still coming for him. But because of the worship, because they were acknowledging who God was, that provided what David needed. 
what's happening in our life now that the worship is fueling what we need? Think about that. Think about where God has you. Think about what he's called you to do, what he's called you to do where you are, and how is worship on a Sunday morning, your individual worship, how is that fueling what's happening in your life? For David, it was about God's glory, God's story. We have this in Kid Nation. This is the God story wall. It's just an illustration that begins in the garden and ends in Revelation that we can point to to say, here's God's story. David was more concerned with God's story than he was his own safety. And Saul was more concerned with his own kingdom than he was God's story. And you see how that's working out for him. All right. Now, for, uh, for time purposes, because we, we said two chapters, right? Don't worry. We're not going to read all of, of chapter 20, I promise. <clears throat> so let me give you just a little bit of a heads up on what happens in chapter 20, okay? So now you have this worshipful experience. David is now going to go back and talk to Jonathan. Because Jonathan wasn't there for any of this. He goes and talks to Jonathan. He tells Jonathan, uh, um, this is all in chapter 20, so I'll be faithful to the passage, but feel free to read along as we talk through it. He goes to Jonathan and tells Jonathan, this is what happened. And Jonathan's like, what? Come on. I just, I can't believe that my dad would do that, right? Because he's loyal to his father as well. So they have a covenant between the two of them that they're going to stay close. No matter what happens, they're going to be together in this. Jonathan and David then hatch a plan. The plan is they have this new moon dinner that happens every month that everybody would be at. David says, I'm not going to go to this dinner. When Saul asks why I'm not there, tell him I'm back at Bethlehem. If he flips out, you know he wants me there because he wants to kill me. If he doesn't flip out, he's going to actually be okay, and I can come home. Because remember, Saul just got through singing God's praises. So David is still following God here. This is how Saul responds when they're at that dinner and David's not there. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse over your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he surely will die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food in the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment that he had with David and with him a little boy. And he said to this boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place, the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, 
David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. It's a heartbreaking passage. Because these best friends know it's over. Saul had a meeting with God. Saul was, was like overcome by the Holy Spirit and sang the praises of God. And it still wasn't enough to keep him from wanting to kill David. So when they had this conversation, they knew this is the end. We're going our separate ways. I love you. I'll love you forever. You're my best friend. But you're going to be with your dad, and I'm going to be on the run. And it's a heartbreaking section of Scripture. Now, to, to leave this sermon there would be awful. So I was thinking through how to really get into the heart of what David was going through. And that's why we read 30 verses this morning. That's the psalm that David was writing when he's on the run, when he's going through all of this. That's the heart of the man who trusts God, but it's not going well who doesn't feel safe, although he's incredibly safe. So if you'll indulge me, we're going to read that again now. So this is Psalm 18, verses 1 through 30. He begins, I love you, Lord. O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death have encompassed me. The torrents of destruction have assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death have confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry from wretched his ears, reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare to your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of your breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued from me my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. 
They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of the broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dwelt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. With this merciful, with those that are merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself torturous. For you save a humble person, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge. How perfect are you feeling God's way is in your life this week? Because that's the heart of the guy who was going through what we just read this morning. That was someone who understood that the safest place to be is where Jesus called you to be, doing what he called you to do. Nothing about this guy's life looks safe. Nothing. And David's not a superhero. He just followed God. Nothing about it looked like it was going well. So some questions to ponder this week. What has Jesus called you to do where he has placed you to be? How are you responding to the adversity of following Jesus? And how has your life pointed toward Jesus' glory recently? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the patience that you show us and the way that you work in our lives. God, I, I know that as we read this passage and we think through David's life and what you were doing in his life, it's so easy to just take it and act like he, he was never frustrated or never upset or never, never prayed to you in anger. But Lord, I, I just know that that can't be true. He's a real guy. Going through extraordinary circumstances. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would continue to allow us to be real people going through extraordinary circumstances too. It's hard. It's scary. But you've already won. There's incredible, incredible hope in that. The greatest hope of all. Thank you for everything you are. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and caring for us and paying for our sins and calling us to serve you. Lord, if there's someone on the side of my voice that doesn't know that you're God, crack their heart open. 
Thank you for who you are again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.